when you when you have sugar in your metabolism, it's like throwing on some scrumpled up paper or some twigs onto a fire. Like it burns fast and it's gone, and you have to keep throwing more sticks on the fire to keep it going. But when you have fat for fuel, you know it's like throwing a log on the fire. It slow burns. Um, everything evens out. So your temperament, your mood. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beerpie people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. And thanks for tuning in to the Pollination Mamas podcast where we have collaborative conversations cross-pollinating as we span our wings, connecting the threads of ancestral wisdom in a modern context so that we can live a nurtured life. I believe ancestral wisdom provides a roadmap to a regenerative culture, contributing to thriving communities, healing and health. Hi everyone, welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. Got a guest here today, all the way from WA, Western Australia, for international listeners. Uh, so I've got Helen Marshall from Primal Alternative. And hold on a moment, I've just got to bring up my notes. Um, so Helen is <laughs> certified Primal Health Coach and founder of the grain-free food range Primal Alternative. Helen also hosts the Primal Alternative podcast on the Wellness Couch, which is where I discovered Helen, um, which is the number one ranked health and wellness podcast station in Australia. And it's great. It's got lots of good episodes. I listen to it quite a bit. Helen's also a motivational speaker on grassroots community-centric change, overcoming, overcoming limiting beliefs and creating an exceptional life. Faced with a health crisis, which included chronic nausea, constipation, insomnia, physical pain and other, other ailments, which Helen, I'm sure, will share at some point, hopefully in the podcast, uh, Helen returned to a diet of plants and animals to reclaim her health. She ditched grains, sugar, seed oils, and embraced a natural, healthy lifestyle with sunshine, sleep, nature, and connection. I love that. I love that it was about the food and it was also about those other elements. So Helen's qualified as a primal health coach to let other women know that they were not on their own on their health journey and that they too could reclaim their health and change their life just with some diet and lifestyle tweaks and community behind them. In that, Helen found her clients were struggling a little bit to make those changes and missing certain foods. So she created an amazing range and collaborated with other people to create primal alternatives to the foods that we love, like pizza and bread and things like that, and told her products were life-changing and felt compelled to get the range to the whole of Australia, but didn't want to do it in that normal sort of factory model. So she was inspired to share her successful baking business. I love this model of so many things about what um, it represents. So that other women with a passion for clean living could start their own home business, doing what they love and making a difference in their community and with their health. Um, so that was the Primalist of Baking Licence, which we'll get Helen to share about later in the podcast. So Helen's collaborated with Joe Witten, I believe, from Quirky Cooking and Chef Pete Evans. And before that, Helen was a fitness instructor, instructor personal trainer and business manager for a leading recruitment company in the city. So she's got a wealth of skills and knowledge. And also Helen lives... 
on 100 acres, like I said, in WA in the southwest, which I discovered today. I didn't know that. I knew Helen was in WA. And it's actually where I spent a really good chunk of my childhood from like 9 to 19 um, around Albany and Denmark, just such a beautiful place. So, yeah, that was a nice little surprise. So thanks so much for being here, Helen. Hey, Shelley, that was an awesome intro. Um, this Helen Marshall chick sounds really cool. So yeah. uh, thanks for that. That was <laughs> nice does. to listen to. Wow. <laughs> it's so, I really enjoy reading people's bios. It was, I got that off your website partly and pulled little things together. And I was like, well, should I shot? And I was like, no, I really want to paint this picture of who you are and all the things you're doing. Um, yeah, so yeah. thanks for making time out really of your well. busy, busy world. Pleasure. This is my last um, interview before I'm wrapping things up for a break of a Christmas with the family. So it's, it's nice. It feels like, oh, I've made it. I was like, when I talk to Shelley, I've made it and then I can have a rest. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You're actually my last interview for the year as well. I'm like, that's it for podcasts. Like, there we go. Edit, edit and launch and away we go. Yeah, it feels um, nice when you get it. to the end of the year, you start wrapping things up and winding down. A sure bit. it does. So, mm. Helen, I'd love just to jump straight in because I've listened to a few of your podcasts um, and I Thank love you. the way that you share about your journey in motherhood and health. So I'd love to just jump straight into that and you just share with the listeners about what that's been for you, like the challenges and into motherhood and health and then how you found your way through exploring and discovering things to apply more lifestyle and how it really had a huge impact on your health. Sure. Well, I'll try and keep it succinct, succinct, um, because it's a, it's a long, you know, 44, so there's quite a long backstory. But essentially, um, I really wanted to be healthy. I come from a family of cranks. So mum and dad would be the ones who would be eating the you know, alternative healthy foods. And uh, we didn't have, you know, the the typical processed foods that really made their way into the kitchen around the 80s, which is when I was growing up, 80s and 90s. And, um, you know, that mum and dad were really cool. They were really onto it, actually. They never went for the skimmed milk. They never went for the margarine. They kind of knew something. And testament to that, they're in their 70s and absolutely thriving, that they've lived through all of the diets, you know, the crazy diets. They just said no to all of them. And they've just stuck to real food, um, having fun, being connected with each other. And that really, I think, is the, the key to it all. But I kind of really wanted to go one step ahead of them. So I was following what the government guidelines were around what it took to be healthy. And of course, that was the, the traditional food pyramid um, of a low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet. So using, like, I think it was the, the um, the guidelines were to have at least 13 serves a day of um, things like bread, cereal, pasta, um, potatoes. And the more whole grain, the better. And as you'll know, Shelley, like with, this was the first time we'd ever just taken a whole grain and gone, that'll do. We'll just eat it like that. Whereas when we look back <laughs> at traditional ways of um, having grains when, when we did bring grains in it was only uh, once we hit the industrial revolution before that we were eating plants and animals which is where the whole 
Paleolithic primal thing comes from. Uh, it doesn't mean that we want to go and live in caves and wear bear skins again, right? It just means that <laughs> period of time, unless you want it, yeah, whatever floats your boat, whatever, you know, works for you, that's fine. Anything goes these days. But that's what, it, that's what we're going back to. We're going back to that time, uh, which was a long period of time before really just this blip, uh, since a blip on the time time scale of um, civilization since the dawn of the industrial revolution. When we started living in towns, we stopped being nomadic. We started growing our own foods. We needed to feed our animals. And so that's when we really started eating more grains and we had to, you know, pay our workers and feed our workers and grains were a cheap way to, to, to keep tummies full essentially um, when there was obviously more people around. So, so, you know, flashback to the, to the 1980s, there I was eating a low fat diet and the message as well, that was when aerobics came in, the gym revolution started. Now there's a gym on every corner in Australia and the world, but yet we're, we're in this, the biggest health crisis globally that we've ever been in. And I really believe it's because we got flawed advice around what we should be eating. And if you, if you look back at pictures in the 1950s or even like the 1960s and 70s, you'll watch a movie or see some old pictures. Nobody was fat. Like nobody was overweight. Um, cancer was very rare. And chronic health conditions like diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, and other conditions like Alzheimer's, you know, these sorts of things were really, really rare. People tended to live a long life and they dropped dead. Um, and things, how things have changed, like we really sort of now, if we you know, make it into old age, we kind of expect that we're going to have some debilitating disease that's going to just, you know, we're going to need medication for and it's going to be painful and it's going to be like a, yeah, not a very nice, not, not a very nice way go um so i was exercising like a maniac as well as eating my low-fat diet um and i then went on to have a couple of kids when i look back now i'm so grateful because I, I speak to a lot of people having my own podcast um who also have been victims of the food pyramid um denise minger has even written a book called death by food pyramid um because a lot of us have had serious um fertility issues um, just because our bodies are so toxic and not functioning properly. We've got hormonal dysfunction, which is all related back to the way that we're living and the food that we're consuming. So I was really grateful to get pregnant and I got pre fell pregnant really easily. And I remember going to the doctors. I'm not a big fan of doctors and hospitals. And I was going along to the doctors and I said to my husband, who's from New Zealand, and as you'll know, New Zealand is pretty pro bit more um, open-minded, I think, in New Zealand compared to the UK and Australia. And that's my opinion, so don't get offended, anyone. But um, I said to my husband, I said, I hope I'm one of those women who has the baby in the laundry on the way to the car to the hospital. I said, Hospitals make me go weak at the knees, and I've just got this really weird feeling that I'll just kind of clam up when I get into labour, and then I'll be, you know tapping their watches and sharpening their knives. And I just feel like I'm just going to end up with a cesarean section and I'm really worried about it. And I was, I was 23 weeks pregnant at this point. And my husband said, Oh my God, like, why didn't you say this before? 
why don't you have a home birth? And I was like, don't be ridiculous. I couldn't have a home birth. That's way too dangerous. But anyway, I looked into um, having a home birth and all the midwives were booked out, right? Because most people know they're going to have a home birth <laughs> earlier on in the first trimester of their period, the, of their period, of their pregnancy. Um, but anyway, I managed to um, find this midwife and I thought, oh, she must be rubbish uh, if she's the only one that's available. But it turns out that she really was the Rolls Royce of midwives. And as soon as I met her, I just had this inner knowing. It makes me feel like crying even just talking about it now, 13 years later. But I just had this real deep inner knowing that this is how I, I was meant to birth this baby. And she, she, you know, she didn't put her hands inside of me or anything like that. She was so respectful and she just looked at my bump and she put her hands on me and she said, what a lovely bump. And we just had this great connection and I went on to have this amazing home birth. And it really, for me, was this transition from like a two-dimensional world to this 3D, like it really was a rite of passage from the maiden to the mother and really gave me this sense of empowerment. It was like, right, well, if I've done that, I can do anything. It was this really like, what else is possible kind of feeling. And in the first few days when I was at home and, you know, the midwife leaves and you think, oh, don't leave me. I'm not sure what I'm going to do now if you go. But she said to me, just what, just think, let this be your mantra. What would they do in the cave? And it was just such wise wisdom when there's so many books, so many podcasts, so many, so much information around what you should do with this little thing in your arms. Um, it was the best advice ever and has actually been a really transitional um, mantra for like the rest of my life. So fast forward, another beautiful home birth of, of my daughter a couple of years later. Um, and as your listeners will know, motherhood's pretty depleting. Uh, you've, you've created a human inside of you, then you've fed it, got up to it, co-slept with it, just you you come last for those first couple of years because you you know you're you're in the trenches it does get easier but in that period of time i just found myself getting uh so exhausted like to the point of this is more than just having a couple of little kids so i was completely exhausted i ached from head to toe i had hideous chronic headaches that would wake me up in the night and i'd have to hop out of bed and take some neurofen just to get back to sleep. And the kicker here is that Nurofen uh, makes your gut leaky, as probably a lot of your listeners will know. So it was this like um, chronic cycle of using medication to numb the symptoms, which was actually just exacerbating the problem. I couldn't poo, like they're just absolutely constipated. Couldn't sleep. So you notice how sleep is so precious. You get those kids to sleep. You're like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. And it just wasn't happening. So I was completely tired and wired. I felt sick all of the time because I was just like this toxic, blocked up disaster. And obviously started to get a lot of depression around that, a lot of anxiety. I had phobias around flying. So I didn't actually go anywhere for 10 years. And as you can hear my accent, I'm from the UK. I've traveled the world. We didn't go anywhere for 10 years. Um, and I didn't link the two together for like a phobia or a mental state and a gut health issue. 
Um, and I also developed a massive phobia around the kids getting sick. So that's, I was 38, so I was your age. So we're looking um, about six years ago now. And that's, that's, yeah, that was me that following the guidelines and that's what happened. And I know there's a lot of people out there going, oh my God, I feel like that too. And my message is you're not on your own because it's a horrible place to be. Mm, yeah as you're saying all that there's something like oh yeah I know that feeling but mostly I hear it so often all of those things the health issues getting really wired is so so common because we become hyper vigilant when meant to when we become rewired into motherhood and that's actually a good thing but when we're not supported enough and we don't have the right nourishment that goes too far one way and yeah it really manifest in so many different ways i know i've had my own anxieties and i hear from other women their own anxieties and it's just really that result of sleep deprivation nourishment and our hormones and nervous system are just operating at such a high level and out of balance really and i love that you share about that because it's such a just straight away i can just feel so many mums listening going oh yeah like you said i'm not alone this is just, it's common, but it's not normal. It's not okay. So we need to be talking about it. So we're, okay, so many people are experiencing this, but what are the what are the options here to start healing? And I love that you talked about motherhood as a rite of passage, that it was really amazing for you. It really shifted you and you felt that whole transformation. I just think, oh, so many of my listeners know, and we spoke before the podcast, I talk about this all the time, all cultures understood this rite of passage and so nurtured and then nourished the mum in that time so they wouldn't get depleted and they could really be, thrive in that transformation. So what happened six years ago? What did you start discovering <laughs> to help making your way back to thriving health? Oh, and some. Like seriously, <clears throat> the way that I feel now is oof, I wish I'd discovered this way of life when I was 15 um, as opposed to 38. But anyway, there's still lots of uh, lovely juicy years ahead. So so what happened was um, in the dark night, I had this real dark night of my soul, which I think most of us do on the cusp of a breakthrough. Like it has to get really bad uh, for you to have that inner readiness to make a change. Um, and I just thought I'm doing all the right things, you know, and I'd been to the doctors, I'd had the full, I'd had the, all the tests, and there was nothing wrong with me, was the diagnosis. Uh, and that I might have a little bit of irritable bowel syndrome, uh, but there wasn't any pills for that. And you're probably a bit depressed. So here's some anti-nausea tablets to stop feeling sick all the time. And here's, you know, um, a referral to a shrink, uh, sorry, a psychologist. Um, and I just thought, no, I don't, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. And so I was pouring my heart out to my husband and, and saying all these weird dark thoughts I was having. and um, and he said, oh, girl, I just, you know, I just wish you could get better because obviously, you know, your man just wants you to be well. Your man wants you to thrive. You're no use to anyone. Like we always think, well, we've got to put, our, put ourselves last, but really we're no use to anyone if we're not fully thriving. We, we, you know, we really do need to look after ourselves first and foremost so we can show up as the best of who we're capable of being. 
And I just blurted out to him that I probably needed to go and see a naturopath um, because the doctor hadn't really given me any great answers, but that she'd probably just tell me to go gluten-free anyway. And it was like this like moment of, oh, well, if I just, I could just do gluten-free because, you know, I'd been a, as you mentioned, I'd been a health instructor. I'd been helping out people on diet plans and exercise plans for years. I was like, I can do this. I'm pretty type A. So I just went into town, super pumped for my new gluten-free life. And I got some gluten-free bread, gluten-free cereal, gluten-free pasta, gluten-free beer, all the things (laughs) and came home and I, gluten-free has got a lot better now and I'm not dissing gluten-free anything before anyone comes after me. But the one the, the things I experienced tasted revolting. And then I picked up the package <clears throat> to see what was in it. And there's stuff I hadn't even heard of. So many numbers, so many preservatives, so many um, things like soy and things, gums. And I just thought, oh, I don't think I should really be eating this as a staple. I don't think this is really going to nourish me. Um, very much. And so um, I put it on Facebook that I was going gluten-free and one of my friends said to me, well, why don't you try paleo? And I'd never heard of paleo like six years ago, you know, living in a little country town, you know, Pete, but it was BP before Pete Evans. It was like pretty much around the time Pete was just starting to talk about the paleo way. And um, so I looked up what that was and it was just this crazy way of eating, which involved no grains, so not even just gluten, but grains entirely. Um, no legumes, no sugar, no dairy, no alcohol. Um, and I just thought, wow, you know, what, what can I eat? So you just start researching the heck out of everything. And it turns out that the majority of what you eat on a primal, paleo, ancestral, whatever you want to call it, way of eating is just what our ancestors ate, which is predominantly plants and some animals and it's not just like any animals it needs to be animals that have also led their proper lifestyle and being fed the right food so you know a lot of the meat that's in our supermarket these days is from cattle that's grain fed now if you think of a cow you imagine a cow in a field eating grass and you know that's what they're meant to do they're ruminants they've got four chambers to their stomach they can digest grass really, really well. And then they've had a wonderful life in the sunshine. And then we eat the animal. If you choose to eat animals, that is the best way to, 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 to eat meat, is to have a grass-fed, grass-finished animal that's lived a really beautiful life. But the, the majority of our meat these days is from animals that are raised in feedlots um, with no exposure to grass. Uh, and they're just fed grains. And they obviously all living on top of each other, very unhappy. They get sick and so there's a lot of antibiotics used and then you're eating the flesh of a, of a sick animal that's been fed the wrong, the wrong kind of food. So the, in, a, in a primal way of eating, the food is grass-fed, it's wild-caught if it's fish and when it comes to the veggies, it's spray-free or organic, it's in season, it's locally sourced um, and that way of life, it's so it's just so simple. So just meat and veg. So it could be, you know, um, eggs for breakfast with avocado, some greens. It could be a big salad with a tin of tuna for lunch with avocado and some beautiful local olive oil, some hemp seeds on top, some other kind of seeds. 
and dinner would could be a barbecue um, with some chips that you've done yourself in the oven or a roast or anything. Anything can be um, primal-ified or paleo-ified. And I've got to tell you, Shelley, like the transformation, like food is such a quick hack and so easy to change. And within just a few weeks, I was just feeling tremendously better. Um, so then I, I came across the Primal Lifestyle, which is um, uh, Mark Sisson from the, the Primal Blueprint is who, was, who is my guru. And I went on to do his health coaching course. So it starts with food, but it goes into all different aspects of your life. So um, there's a lot of emphasis on sleep. So just, you know, really... Um, making sure you're not getting too much blue light exposure from screens, TVs, phones before bed, having a regular bedtime, um, waking up with the sun um, and spending some time getting some blue light on your face in the morning, which is just as simple as stepping outside and, you know, looking up at the blue sky, um, getting adequate sunshine. So in, in Australia, sunshine is something that we all fear it's slip, slop, slap, it's, you know, cancer, it's terrifying. But actually some sun exposure, and obviously burning is not cool, but some sun exposure is very beneficial um, for the absorption of vitamin D, which is actually um, a hormone and really helps um, everything work in the body. It's got so many different roles. Um, and also so ditching, I ditched my gym workouts and just went more for um, a primal essential movement workout, which is just using functional movements that we can all do at home in our pajamas. You don't need lycra. You don't need kettlebells, right? You don't need a gym membership. You just bust out 50 squats, 25 push-ups. on your knees is fine. Five pull-ups. Um, I do mine off the kitchen table and a two minute plank. And that is all your body needs along with some beautiful walks, barefoot in nature, so just all these different elements just weaved together just make you feel fantastic. And when you start to, when you start to um, clear away that distortion and the brain fog and all that pain, when all of that goes, it really is like somebody's lifting a veil and you just become this clear channel um, for your intuition, for your inspiration. And you really have got, you've got this really clear guidance from, you know, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, but you've also got the, um, the energy to follow things through and also just this sense of adventure. So like this, like, well, even though I'm completely pooing my pants about doing this new thing, I'm going to do it anyway. <clears throat> you know, like fear is right there in with, with, for the ride with you. And that's okay because you feel like, like adventure that humans are, you know, the reason we are bipedal, the reason we're on two feet and not on four feet like a cow, the reason we're on two feet is because we've always been looking to the horizon, looking for adventure. And if you've lost that sense of adventure, like when I wanted to stop flying, that is a dead, that's it. That's like a, canary in the coal mine scenario of right what's going on something's not right if you're not wanting to grow and learn new things and have new experiences something's not quite right and it can be something usually just as simple as a little bit of gut dysbiosis so hopefully <laughs> that explains a little bit of it all 
Oh, it's awesome. I love it. It's inspiring. Yeah, I think the mental health side, like you're saying, the canary in the coal mine, it's like if you were choosing not to fly because you're like, oh, I want to join Greta Thunberg and, and decrease my emissions, that's different to having a fear over something. And like so many kids now are experiencing mental health issues and anxiety as well as adults. And so many times the story, part of the remedy, of course, like it's a holistic picture. Like you said, we've got to look at decreasing stress and our access to um, natural elements like sun and exercise. But so much of it comes back to our food. And like you said, it's an easy hack. And food, like for me, I think for so many people, it represents more than just I need food to live and survive. It's about how we enjoy food and our relationship to pleasure and our relationship to how we nourish ourselves and our family and our loved ones. And then also more and more, and I want more people to think about this too, our connection to the natural world, like where did that food come from, who grew it and what's it made of. Like you said, a cow's not a cow. Actually, I want to ask you, talking about the cow, I think it was in one of your podcasts. So I've always... I think you said something similar, like in Australia, you drive around, especially if you live in a rural area like me and you see the cows in the paddock and I see some dairy cows and I see some beef cows and they're just out there eating grass. I know at the moment a lot of them are eating feed, like they're bringing in hay and things like that. But I was, I've always had this impression like, oh, in Australia, most cows are just pasture fed anyway. But do they go to a grain feedlot before to fatten up or something? When does that happen? No, it's it's really it's really screwed, um, Shelley. I don't know exactly. I'm not an expert on um, the beef industry, but when I asked, you know, we, we're, I'm in the country. I live on 100 acres. There's just fields everywhere, mm. and there's cows. You know, stop stop and wind down the window and talk to them on the morning. Moo, and it's like you know, it's just <laughs> lovely. And so when I went into my local IGA, I was like. Okay, so this is all local grass-fed, and they said no. This is this is feedlot from you know up the road, and I said, and and I've got a few beef farmer friends, and they're exporting their beef, or they're sending it over east. So it don't just assume that you know you, the cows you see down the road are the ones that are ending on your dinner plate. And I know a ridiculous stat that I heard um, from the awesome movie. 2040 which is all really positive movie about how we can save the world based on the stuff that we already know right now like in 20 years time we can do do so many amazing things and um, one of the stats on there was that the US exported the same amount of beef that it imported I mean like that's just crazy in terms of you know carbon footprint and fossil fuel wastage and packaging and Wow, that totally blows my mind, that stuff. And, yeah, I had no idea that there's still so much grain-fed beef in Australia. I mean, I buy my meat mostly from, we're really lucky here, we've got something called Farm to Fridge and it's basically, this, um, you can order online and then you pick up and it's all local farmers doing regenerative farming and things like that. So we're really lucky. But um, I do also sometimes go to the supermarket and buy the organic whatever that's there but to know that, I think that's a really empowering bit of knowledge there for people that are eating some meat. Yeah. And, and you know, like, and, and the thing is, like, when I first heard it, the, the natural reaction is, to, is one of despair. But the reality is that don't despair and don't, like, start waiting for the government to change how things are. Because we have got so much power as consumers 
um, you know, to ask these questions, just ask the question. Next time you go to the supermarket, ask your butcher. You, you might be lucky. You might have a butcher who buys local um, meat. And we are like, like the, the, the company that you, you've just mentioned, those sorts of companies are popping up everywhere. And even I noticed in um, a big supermarket chain, they now sell grass fed meat because there's a certain percentage of people who want it, you know? So if we go and we buy that and I would go for grass fed over organic because organic can still mean that they're in a feedlot. They're just being fed organic grain. Well, you don't want that. You want a cow that's been eating its natural primal diet and had its natural primal lifestyle in the sunshine, you know, scratching itself on a telegraph pole with (laughs) with all the other cows in a herd, you know? Uh, so, and, and it, it, it makes me excited because there is a lot of grassroots change happening, you know, and, and we, we as consumers have got significant influence. So don't despair, anybody. It's all no, good. I agree. <laughs> I have posted a few times lately, your vote is your dollar. And there was a statistic, Absolutely. I haven't found an Australian one, but I'm sure with like most statistics, get my words out, um, mm. it's similar to America to Australia. And I'll have to look back on my post, but it was something like 93% of where our dollar is spent on food consumed in the country comes from women. And I just think that's so empowering. So mm. I really preach that message quite a bit to go, you have so much power to vote with your dollar and where that goes. And like you said, the supermarkets are large chains. If um, that's what you have access to, it's good to find, have chat to your butcher, like you said, go and talk with people and go to the farmer's market and chat. It just feels so much um, better and gives you a connection to your food. But also sometimes you need to get to the big chains um, it's all there. Yeah, the grass-fed products are there as an option. So I'm glad you made that distinction for people. It's really important. Mm. Um, yes. And now I'm remembering where I did come into contact with you. It's because I was looking at the Primal Health Coaching and I messaged you. That's where I discovered you. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because I was trying to remember how we connected because it was a while ago and then we've had a couple of reschedules and I was like, how did we get in touch? But, yeah, that's right. You were asking me what I thought of it and I said, absolutely brilliant. Do that's it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the sun and the vitamin D, like so many people are becoming deficient in vitamin D, which is just crazy in Australia. And it is because of that fear. So yeah, knowing your times, going out in the morning. And also I learned that you absorb vitamin D much faster and much easier when you get it on your thighs and your stomach. Some women might be going, ah, but you know what? Like you can still wear, if you don't want to like feel comfortable, comfortable rocking the tum you can still wear something and then just like lift it up for a bit while you're lying down in the sun or out in the garden or whatever it is in your backyard but wearing yeah getting the shorts Shelly, your thighs <laughs> naked naked sunbathing like it's, it's where it's at so we you know your hands and your face right they've been smashed by the sun forever in a day and your shins as well like that's that they get a lot of sun right so the best way to absorb sun is on the larger flanks of your body. So you think your butt cheeks, like you say, your thighs, your back. Um, and what I what I do now, and it's so nice, um, is just lie out in the garden, no clothes on. Like you can't get more primal than that. All right, I live in 100 acres of wilderness, right? But you can find ways to do this without yeah. anyone seeing. So, you know, it could be a little... Um, little game you could play try and work out where you can do your nudie sunbathing but yeah so 10 minutes and I usually meditate at the same time it is seriously 
feels so good. And then when it comes to going down to the beach, I'm there in a big linen shirt. I'm covered up, big brim hat, you know, um, low-tox sunscreen if we're down there for extended periods of time. So you know what I mean? Um, and that just feels so much better. And so you've got this like all year round base tan. And when you've got that base tan, you have less chance of burning. And it's the burning that's the problem. And also, I don't know if there's any um, stats or uh, uh, evidence for this at this point, but the biggest difference between the standard Australian diet and the primal paleo way of eating is that you are burning fat as a fuel over sugar. So when I was a new mom, I used to have what I called my emergency sandwich under my bed and sorry, under my pillow. So I co-slept at breastfed and I was just starving all the time, starving, so starving. Um, and I wish that I just could have just had, you know, some olive oil and avocado, or, you know, like a sausage or something, but I was still eating low fat when I first had my, um, my kids, they were both, you know, I was still doing the low fat thing, trying to lose the weight, you know, seriously. And, the, you know, straight away wanting to go back on walks. And really, I should have just followed your protocol around having a month of rest and massage and just keeping everything light and joyful. But you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so I'd have a sandwich under my bread of like two pieces of wholemeal bread because it was healthy, wholemeal bread with um, peanut butter and jam or jelly in it and I'd like have to snack on that. So there was this like constant roller coaster of, of, you know, of being a sugar burner. So you, you sugar, it, when you, when you have sugar in your metabolism, it's like throwing on some scrumpled up paper or some twigs onto a fire. Like it burns fast and it's gone and you have to keep throwing more sticks on the fire to keep it going. But when you have fat for fuel, you know, it's like throwing a log, on the fire, it slow burns, um, everything evens out. So your temperament, your mood, there's no more feeling hangry, you know, where you're like hungry and you get angry and you get a little bit shitty with everyone because you're like, I've got second I need something to eat. You know, like it's just horrible, horrible way to be. Yeah. It doesn't work when it doesn't work when you're parenting, you know. So that that really helps just um sustain resilience. Um, it means that you can just cope because life has its ups and downs, right? This is all about learning how to respond instead of react. That's what we're just constantly working on. It's a constant work in progress, learning new tools, moving through things, going, oh, I didn't freak out with that one. I did better this time, you know? So, so yeah, that's, that's the biggest, most liberating thing about this way of life is that, yeah, you're just no longer ruled by food. Mm. Hallelujah. We can all relate to that, that breastfeeding hunger. It's just so intense. And to some degrees that, that's going to happen, especially in the beginning. But knowing, yeah, that fuel that's going to give you most bang for your buck. Like literally, I love that metaphor with the fire, the twigs or the, the slow burning log. And I feel it. I'm still, even though I know it, I'm still sort of, it's taking me a long time to really integrate. Like sometimes I'm really good and I've got um, more of a primal diet and I've got my good, you know, my plants and then my high fats and then, sometimes I'll just, it'll slowly creep back in. Like I'll have a few bad nights, kids will get sick and then grains will just kind of, and I'm not aiming to eliminate grains completely, but I need to have them minimal. But then they sneak back in and then I'm like, oh, I'm back in this place. Okay. And then I have to strike the balance again. But I'm glad you mentioned um, the black. Well, you know yeah, go, sorry. 
Sorry, I was just going to say then with the sleep deprivation thing. So when you're sleep deprived, you're actually um, operating exactly like a type 2 diabetic on, on that morning because your blood sugar is so low because, because of sleep deprivation. And sleep deprivation is one of the things that it's really the king. Um, it's over food. It's over movement. So it's sleep is like the priority in your life. And obviously, you can't prioritize that when you've got new kids or new babies, right? Because you, you, you're not in charge of that anymore, right? Mm. So when the, the best way to, to deal with that is to, you know, um, you, will, you will naturally crave um, glucose because that's a quick, that's a quick source of, of fuel and your body is really low and, and that's what you will crave. So the best way to, to, to meet that is to meet it with a really high fat meal. So, you know, maybe some nice eggs, maybe some avocado. Um, if you eat dairy, some butter, some cheese, if you eat meat, a nice piece of, you know, um, meat would, would really meet that, um, <laughs> meat, meat, meat would really satisfy, that sugar craving and really set the tone again for the rest of the day because what you'll find is um, the more sugar that you have, the more sugar you'll crave. So when we wake up, we're a bit tired or even if you've had an alcoholic drink the night before, that'll kick us out of fat burning and because you need to burn the alcohol because it's toxic, the ethanol will burn that first of all. And then we go back to burning sugar. So everybody knows like we only got a bit of a hangover. You get the munchies, you want to eat all the things. Um, so just really um, it, what you'll find is if you have something sweet, then you'll crave something sweet a couple of hours later. And it's quite hard to break that cycle, you know. So have something fat, you know, a nice nutrient-dense fatty meal, good fats and a good night's sleep will is the quickest way to kind of like get back on the train if you like. Yeah, it is a catch-22. And you're right, like you just, in those early days, I mean, even now sometimes when I toddler, you just can't prioritise it. So then that tool of food becomes even more important. And I think that's why so many women, when they become mums, start becoming more sensitive to foods. Their health become, deteriorates in different ways and they really have to find a different way and a different alternative because that sleep, which, yeah, is king, like you said, it's totally up there, it's queen, Um isn't an option all the time. So you can try and like delegate a little bit, get your sleep in, but then you've got to bring food in in even more of a really conscious way to get those fats. And I guess that's why when you look at traditional postpartum foods, like for the first days or weeks, they might start off fairly light, but they always have bone broths and lots of good fat and they've got the meat in there and they've got certain herbs. There's, barely any i don't think i've seen a vegan postpartum dish um and most of them do involve mm. some form of meats especially the chicken to start with with the, it's always with the skin you need the and the bones and the marrow and that sort of thing and i'm glad that you well that's it and, and and you and eating and eating that whole you know, a whole nose to tail approach is very fundamental in this way of life because you know something has happened i mean it wasn't when i was when my grandma was making a pie she would use the the organs as well so you have to your steak and kidney pies right and and somewhere along the line we've just gone to eating muscle meat of just four animals. So we only eat cows, pigs, sheep, and chickens. Like we, we don't eat duck very much. We don't eat rabbits. We don't eat kangaroo, even though we have an abundance of primal kangaroos here in, in Australia. You know, we don't eat much fish anymore. And I really think it's from that low fat phase. Like we've just ditched 
all of the other, you know, like when, um, when a cat, for example, kills a mouse, the first thing the cat will eat is the organs of the animal because mm. that is the most nutrient-dense bit. And then it might leave um, a paw for you to find in the morning um, along with probably a pile of vomit. But anyway, that's a different story about cats. <laughs> it's true, though. And there's actually some evidence that traditional cultures would prioritise the fat, marrow and organs in an animal and then it was actually the protein, flesh, meat part, um, which would come second. And then some people yeah. realized that that's why often traditional cultures had a relationship with like wolves or dogs or dingoes because they would eat that and clean it up so that it wouldn't be sitting around rotting if they didn't eat it all. And, of course, people ate a little bit. But, yeah, the low-fat paradigm really has a lot to answer for. And, again, postpartum traditions often used liver to rebuild, and I'm always preaching about pate and organic and free-range mm. free pasture-raised chicken, yeah. liver pate, which I make. Um, and I try, and I make it quite palatable. I've almost pretty much even converted my partner who gagged at the word liver so that mm. <laughs> it can be made really palatable as well and made really delicious. I'm so glad you mentioned, you know, that you went to a GP when you're feeling depleted because um, the podcast, which will have been released by the time I release this, it'll come out soon, um, was with a doctor called Dr. Esker, Oscar Serilak, and he's a GP Australian who wrote The Postpartum Depletion Cure. And he noticed a pattern of women coming to him, bless him, uh, he's, seen, he's kind of bringing it to the attention of GPs who were depleted. And that depletion might be a year or two after, but he said most commonly it was like four, five, six, seven years later, the hugest effects mm. on mental health, the nervous system and physical depletion were happening, which when you were telling your story, I was like, yes, that's what mm. he noticed as well. I can vouch for that. Mm. I can vouch for that. And, and you know, my, my healing journey included, you know, I mentioned the plants and animals, but heaps of bone broth, mm. so much broth, and so many fermented vegetables and, um, you know, things like that that really reset the gut because my gut was completely out of whack. I had all sorts of horrible things growing in there that shouldn't have been in there. But the broth and the slow-cooked um, food, which I know is, is very um, common across the world in different cultures for postpartum food, yeah. was really key to my recovery. And it's really interesting now, you know, like joining the dots. Hindsight is such a wonderful thing. But that really was four or five years after you've had after I'd had my babies. And I think you kind of operate on just this, you're on this like cortisol. You, yeah. you are, you're just like on this, like you just go, go, go. And then that can only go for a certain period and then we crash and burn. And it's ever so common, unfortunately, but not normal. Yeah, but not normal. Actually, um, I'm conscious of the time, but I'd love for you to touch on that as well. Because yeah, the traditional cultures said, lots of them had little sayings, but for example, in India, I would say 42 days for postpartum rest period for 42 years of health and the Chinese said something similar. And like I always say to listeners and women I talk to, don't freak out because there is postpartum repletion. We can try and catch up on what we missed out on and we can give that to ourselves and it might take a year or two and then a lifestyle change, but we can do it. But I'd love for you to share what you know about that terrible catch-22 cycle of the stress hormones, so cortisol, adrenaline, and then how that, has long-term effects and what those symptoms might look like for women. 
Yeah, sure. Well, I'm not, um, I, just a quick disclaimer, not, it's not my zone of genius, the, the hormones of a, of a female body. But um, yeah, so what I do know I'll share, uh, which is more from, um, you know, from a health coaching experience and my own experience is that when we're running on, on that cortisol, we're running completely, um, you know, we're totally running on vapors essentially. And all of your major systems in your body will shut down because you're in that state of fight or flight, which is so primal. And, you know, back in the day, a rustle in the bushes would have meant, um, you know, that could have been death. So fight or flight comes on. What is it? Oh, it's just a bird. No worries. We would be back to normal. But these days that same, we, we trigger the same response from our mobile phone. So every time your phone goes ding, it's like a rustle in the bushes. <gasps> What's that? And there you go. There's your cortisol. Um, and usually then followed by a hit of dopamine. If it's a message, oh, it's something for me. Um, so we've got this like constant like addiction to these like various hormones that are firing all the time. And back in primal days, we would have been experiencing life or death situations on a daily basis. And then something like, like our grandparents, grandparents would have experienced life or life or death, um, you know, um, about 20% of their life. And then now these days, only about 20% of us will ever have a life or death, a death experience, but yet we've still got the same hardwire and um, sorry, the same, the same kind of the, the same primal, you know, hardware. Um, so we're still programmed. So that's why, you know, when you get your credit card bill and you're looking at it, you're like, ah! and you go into complete the state of fight or flight. And really um, all sorts of like systems in the body just don't function when we're in that state. And most of us are in a, in a chronic state um, of fight or flight all, all day long. So our immune system shuts down, our digestive system shuts down. So that might be, you may notice if you've like scoffed your lunch on the run or, you know, while you've been looking at your phone and not really paying attention to food. Uh, and as you know, like food, as you mentioned, is a wonderful thing. It's such a pleasurable human experience that, you know, if we take the time, like one of my rules is to have a very, um, no toys at the table rule. So we all sit around the dinner table, we come together, we have conversation, we relax, we focus on our food, we smell our food, we check this out, chew the food, like chew it, like nobody's got time to chew anymore. Everyone just wants to chug things down. I was watching a guy the other day outside McDonald's, he was literally just drinking his fries from the cup, from the packet while he was scrolling his phone. And I just thought that really just sums up why everyone's got so many digestive issues. <laughs> that just really sums it up. But our beautiful, tiny, amazing little adrenals, they do so well at this job, but it comes to a point where they just, they, they just burn out. Um, and that can just be really very common and not, not a very pretty way to be and can take a lot of time um, to restore with some beautiful adaptogenic herbs, um, which no doubt you'll know about, Shelley. Uh, changes in lifestyle are the, are the key. Um, I found the, the best thing for my adrenal health and generally my health in general was just to just not be so busy all the time. I don't know. We kind of wear this badge of busy as something that's good, but it's actually not serving us at all. And 
some, I know when, when I was in my health crisis, I wanted to keep busy because I didn't feel very good. I didn't want to stop and feel how I was feeling. Um, so are we, are we running away from a certain feeling? Um, what can we slow down? And of course, the one thing that we've always got with us at all times, which can just really bring us into that um, more you know, rest and digest state, that calmer state, is our breath. Like we use breath during lovemaking, during birth, and it's there all the time. And it's the one thing that you can just take what you don't need to do, 20 minutes breath work, or count it for this, or count it for that. You just take one deep breath, and it's just it can just change the whole moment. So there, yeah, that, hopefully that's got some little bits of takeaway tips in there somehow. Yeah, no, definitely. We we still our body doesn't know that we're not running from the tiger or the alligator when we're getting stressed with all the modern stresses. It's still responding in that same way. And I've also heard people talking about how when we're eating a really nutrient-depleted lifestyle with lots of empty carbohydrates and not enough um, good fats and not enough minerals in our body, that our body doesn't know the difference between that and starvation. So we'll actually act like we're experiencing some sort of starvation. And then, yeah, that has all the side effects. And when the adrenals go from the stress, that's when people start to experience things like chronic fatigue, and, and um, which is so common these days, just all of the lethargy. So I would love to touch a little bit more before we wind up and you share about, uh, I really want you to share about primalist business and other things that you're doing. But you mentioned a bit about the primal paleo and then keto as well. So is there a difference with keto? And in there, I'd love to hear about um, the good fats that kind of crossover from keto to primal. So we've mentioned like the animal fats like avocado and things like that. Um, and where butter comes into it, so animal fats over, say, lard, like meat fat. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lots of great questions. Um, so I guess I'll give you my um, interpretation of it. Um, so keto is like a shortened version of ketosis which isn't a diet, it's a state of being. So it's when we're burning ketones for fuel. So um, we can burn glucose for fuel um, and we can burn fat for fuel and we can burn ketones for fuel. So there's the three different um, fuel sources. So um, getting into a state of ketosis um, or people would they say going keto uh, is where you have a very low carbohydrate diet. So carbohydrates are found in things like um, grains. So usually they'll be out. Things like potatoes are high in carbohydrates. All of the vegetables that grow under the ground. So things like your carrots, your beetroot, as well as other things like pumpkins are high in carbohydrates, whereas your leafy greens, they're low in carbohydrates. So a, a keto uh, diet would involve quite a lot of meat. Um, in fact, there's even a new uh, thing. It's not even that new anymore, but quite a lot of people are just eating a carnivore diet, which I kind of did laugh at to start with, but it seems to be working well for quite a few people. And I think the takeaway here and really what we're moving towards now is disengaging from this label and really just taking that ownership of what works best for me. 
and becoming an expert in ourselves. So that might mean, you know, trial, trial and error of a few different ways of eating. You know, you could try something for, so I would say try something for about 21 days and see how you feel. Um, and then start to bring things back in. So if you want to do an elimination diet, like the paleo or the primal diet, um, you want to take out the, the grains, the industrial seed oils, the legumes, the sugar, and the dairy, and then you can start to bring a couple of things back in and see how you feel. So some people might have been strict paleo for a while, but now they'll enjoy some white potatoes or rice. Um, whereas people who are on a keto uh, way of life, they, they will eat less than 20 grams of carbohydrates a day. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty extreme. It works for some people. I see a lot of people it doesn't work for. It didn't work for me. Uh, I did a keto reset for six weeks, which I think is really good just to build that metabolic flexibility. Because when we think about um, ancestral times, you know, we wouldn't have eaten every three to four hours. There would have been periods where we wouldn't have had meals for a long time. There would have been periods where we had lots of meals uh, at a time, depending on whether there was a kill or there was a harvest or we came across some berries or tubers or whatever. So it's just nice to have that flexibility with your metabolism and the difference between paleo and primal um is primal's easier for me to say than paleo with my accent so that's why i call no <laughs> that's one of that's one of the reasons i like it better but primal yeah, would dairy's okay right so if you like your cheese and you like your milk uh, and your cream then you're more of a primal person um, whereas paleo can be quite black and white and they used to be almost like a paleo police you know, people would say to me oh well that's not paleo that's not paleo and thankfully we're moving away from that kind of like ridiculous uh, strictness and food shame because that is not healthy either mm. and really just moving more towards I would say now that it, just eat real food just eat real food um, yeah so to so on the fats uh, so healthy fats would be anything from uh, a grass-fed animal. So you've mentioned your lard. Um, tallow is, is a really good uh, fat to cook with, as well as coconut oil. Um, and olive oil is, is good, but better for your, your salads. Things as well like macadamia oil, walnut oil is good, avocado oil. Um, but any of your industrial seed oils, are best avoided. So like your canola oil, grapeseed oil, rice bran oil, because they cause um, oxidation and inflammation in the body, which is, we don't want that. That's not cool. So stick to the animal fats, the coconut oil. I cook in coconut oil and we use um, extra virgin olive oil on our salads. Keep it simple. Um, and then, yeah, we mentioned the good fats in the terms of meat, um, eggs, nuts, avocados yeah so there's heaps to choose from if you just yeah just go to your local farmer's market and see what they've got and just go with what you fancy and what I find is that this food speaks for itself like high quality food you don't need a simmer sauce with it you don't need to put it with a packet of anything and you've got that yes it will be more expensive but that's the cost I would say at what cost you know like I'd rather buy the good food and not have the health crisis, right? There's always some kind of cost. Um, but what I did find was that I freed up about $50 
in my supermarket shopping because I wasn't buying muesli bars anymore. I wasn't buying the breads. I wasn't buying all the crackers and all those like things that you just like a fillers to go from one meal to the other. So I reinvested that money into more nutrient dense sources of food, but it's not all meat and veg, right? Because this is what the reality of living in modern society is that, you know, we've been brought up with bread and we, we love pizza night and we like Tim Tams and biscuits. And, and so I really missed those when I went primal. And a lot of my health coaching clients said the same thing. They're like, oh, well, that's all very well, but I don't have time to make a salad every lunchtime. Sometimes I just want eggs on toast and there's no bread I can have. Or, you know, I want a pizza or I just want a cup of tea and a biscuit. I've got my period coming. I just feel like some biscuits and, you know, there's nothing good that I can buy. So I just go and buy the mainstream stuff and then I like unravel on my good work and feel like crap again, right? So I decided to come up with some recipes of primal alternatives to the foods that we all love. And I think we've pretty much ticked every trigger food that is a food that would take someone off their health journey, you know, apart from ice cream. I can't do ice cream, but I've got a good recipe. I can refer you to my blog for a good, quick, instant ice cream if you're missing ice cream. So, yes, yeah, so I, I came up with these recipes and um, I ditched my job in the corporate world because um, I wanted to be there for my kids. I know it's not everyone's choice, but for me, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, so I was really looking for a job that I could do from home. So this worked really well because I could bake while the kids were at school and we could go and do markets together and deliveries together. And they could help me sticky labels on the bags and stuff like that. And people would tell me that you know, my health coaching clients were like, this is the, a game changer. This is what makes it easy to stick to. Uh, we have pizza night on a Friday or we're having we're having brunch and we're having fruit toast and we're pretending they're pancakes and we're putting berries on them and, you know, big dollops of organic yogurt and maple syrup and just, just kept it oh, just yummy and deprivation free, right? Because if, if you feel deprived, then it's like a diet and that just, that we just don't do those anymore. So I just knew that I had to get these products out to more people. But as you said in the intro, factories, like they just, I don't know. They're just food in a factory. I don't know. It loses this energy. Like when, when food is homemade from scratch with love, like food has always been a gift in that way. It always makes you feel better. Like there's a, a love, a vibration, a frequency that's in that food that you eat when you have it. And so I wanted to continue this home baking kind of like cottage style industry but with modern technology so with the power of blasting it all out on facebook with the power of being able to bring up this community of bakers together in a facebook group so we could all hold each other's hand and support each other and you know offer kind of like a sisterhood support thing behind it all um so that's what i did i didn't have a clue about how to do it but i just went out and did it and you know, I think now it's nearly three years since I launched the license. So it launched, so basically just put like the baking business in a box. I said, here you go. Um, do you want to buy it? And so far, 133 fabulous women, mostly in Australia, have joined me. And you know, Pete Evans is on board. He loves what we're doing because it's so community centric. So we do a bread with him and no nut hemp bread. And we also do no-nut hemp wraps with him. And he donates 
his money to, to charity. So the royalties he gets from the products. So one of the um, charities that he sends his royalties to is our hope for health, which is helping our indigenous communities with their health crisis. Cause we really came in and screwed up. They were eating primarily and we came and we screwed it up with our white flour and our white sugar. So our hope for help is reminding um, indigenous cultures how to eat from the land and the sea. So it's just so exciting. This, oh, I just love what we're doing. I could seriously talk about it for ages, but I know we're at the end of the show. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so glad that you, yeah, I can hear the passion. I love so much about that. So first of all, I just love the feminine model, Helen, of how you didn't just go, okay, idea, I just have to work in this paradigm and get a big factory and employ people. But you're empowering moms, and I'm similar. Like I still kept working as a social worker with my first, and then when I had my second, I was like, mm, this isn't working for me anymore. I need to be a little bit more flexible and working from home a little bit more as well as a little bit outside. So I just think such a great model for mums to be able to do that with the flexibility in their own home and work around busy schedules and kids and things like that. Awesome. And kind of decentralising that as well. And so people get the recipes and they get the license and they get this brand and then they can make their own opportunities. It's awesome. And, yeah, Hope for Health, yeah. so where Pete's donating. I love that organisation. I might actually even put a link up to that in the show notes because I want people to check it out. And I'm going to try and interview someone from there. It's been on my list for a while. But, yeah, definitely check it out if anyone's yeah. listening. I love them. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, and so anyone listening out there, I've got a little bit of an ulterior motive. Anyone local wants to do this, I'm I'm definitely going to start buying these products online and giving it a go. I feel like this is for me. It's a little bit extra. Like I've been doing traditional kind of Western A price eating for a while and playing around with high fat and and minimal grain. But I just feel like I need to take it a bit further. And I feel like these products are like you said. They're going to be able uh, give me a way to do that without the deprivations still have that pleasure mm. those things like bread and pizza um just makes it easy just yeah. makes it easy uh, easier yeah. than you know than yeah. and i love the western air price philosophy everything about it absolutely and you know if you are going to have grains then prepare them properly but i do hear a lot of people say they feel so much better when they ditched grains completely so give yeah. it a go i agree yeah and when I have done it, I felt much better. And then if, if and when you do have grains, occasionally make sure they are really well processed with sourdough or oats are soaked mm. overnight and that sort of thing. And, and try and make them minimal. Yeah. Don't let that spread out into the bulk of your food as well. I think it's a key thing with Western Empires. And I love that you said just tune in. Like we don't need to have these strict diets and we don't need to go from counting calories to counting carbs and all that sort of thing. Tune in and <laughs> works for you so important speaking of which on so on helen's podcast people listening the primal alternative podcast check it out there's heaps of good episodes i'm still my podcast addict but i'm working through episodes um helen always asks her guests what they think oh, yeah. <laughs> about chocolate coffee and wine so um i've got times so it depends on your time as well whether we do no i'm good how much time you spend on it so i'm gonna throw that back to you what are you, your thoughts and relationship with chocolate, coffee, and wine? Mm. And I've heard you talk about fat coffee, uh, so I'd love you to share about that. 
Yeah, yeah, no worries. So uh, coffee, wine and chocolate. So the reason I ask all my guests on my show that is because I'm just looking for validation from as many people <laughs> as possible um, that, that say it's okay for me to have coffee, wine and chocolate in my life because, you know, there are certain non-negotiables in people's lives and, you know, I am, I'm quite happy to give up beer Right, that's fine, but I need I need to have an alternative to have, and I think it's the same. Like um, my philosophy is more find a primal alternative, find what it, whatever it is that you love. So for me, I used to love Cadbury's chocolate, and I found it really hard to just have a piece, one piece. You know, we'd get the the fully, you know, the ones with the fondant fillings and stuff like that. So the fully you know, lots of additives, lots of colors, um, lots of sugar. The, the thought just makes my teeth stand on end now. But in, instead of like, instead of going, right, well, I never eat chocolate again, which is just like the most depressing thought ever. I just slowly transitioned to a better quality, organic, fair trade, 70% or plus. So my favorite now is 90% chocolate because I don't know, it's just so bitter and it just really hits the spot and like two squares of that and I am in heaven um I was interviewed somebody the other day that was saying that um I think it was from that book uh French women don't get fat was that you know her her grandma whenever she had she had a morsel of chocolate every day and when she had the morsel of chocolate everyone had to be quiet and she'd roll her head back in just ecstasy of savoring the chocolate, you know? And I just think that is the way to have chocolate. Whereas before, it was just like mindlessly shoveling in, um, you know, Cadbury's chocolate. And I now know that Cadbury's and other chocolate manufacturers, they, they employ people to find that sweet spot where you just can't stop, you know? Like they, they find that mouth the mouth feel and the taste and the texture and the right amount of sweetness and saltiness. And so you can't stop. So you keep buying more of their products because they're there to make a profit. They don't care whether you're satisfied. They don't want you to be satisfied after two cubes. They want you to buy more, but yet we feel like we've got a willpower issue. You know, we weren't, we weren't raised with this much sugar available. So we don't actually have an off switch for sugar. So, you know, like, whereas you can't pig out on avocados or steak, you know, cause we, we, we know when we're full with fat, but, um, and protein, very filling, but not with sugar. So if you've got a, Oh, I've got, um, um, like greedy guts or whatever. It's not your, it's not you. It's the food that you're choosing. So they're all a tick. So they're all a tick, right? So I'll just, give you a bit more of a background. So chocolate ticked coffee. Look, I've gone from having um, a skinny flat white with one sugar, uh, which was causing me constipation. That was, so most people with dairy, they go the other way, they get the runs. But for me, um, having, you know, two flat whites, skinny flat whites with sugar. Um, I'm just thinking of the, the amount of sugar in that with the lactose from the milk as well. Mm. That's what uh, the dairy gave me constipation. So I've swapped now to just like having an organic, um, really good quality black coffee. And because I've had, so like a long black, or sometimes I'll make a cashew milk, which yeah. is like a bit of a treat, just not a treat because it's a treat, but because normally I can't be bothered. So I'll just have black coffee. And the same, the same thing again, like the coffee, you taste the coffee when you just have a long black. When you're having like a, 
skinny flat white or whatever, all the other syrups that they put in it in creams and all sorts of stuff. It's just a sugar bomb. Like you're not really there for the coffee. You're there for the sugar and that's okay. Um, but I found that I do take some time to retrain the palate, but it's much more satisfying. And a new tip that I've just picked up from Dr. Andrea Huddleston, who was giving me a bit of a one-on-one one on menopause. Um, she was saying one of the best things you can do to protect your adrenals is to not have coffee in the first two hours when you wake up on a morning. So coffee's fine. She's, she's an absolute coffee fan, a coffee purist. She has one beautiful cup a day, but have, she has it like after 10 o'clock. So I'm like, okay. I can do that. So that's my new thing that I'm doing. Um, I've already had it. Damn. I have another one. Uh, it's Friday after all. Um, and the final one is alcohol. So, you know, I love, I love a wine. Um, I used to love beer as well, but I've just switched to um, organic. It's a beautiful organic um, sparkling white. So champers but not from that region, from South Australia and the organic red wine. So I'm a Gemini, so sometimes sparkling, sometimes red <laughs> wine, and and I enjoy that. And I'll have one or two or three, sometimes four glasses um, a few nights a week. And I do have set alcohol-free days because I do feel not great if I drink every single night. And I know my limit and sometimes like it's human nature to get away with as much as possible. So that's okay, right? So sometimes you'll be like, yeah, I'm going to have another one. Um, and then there's no failure, only feedback. And sometimes the next day you think, yeah, no, I won't, I won't do that again. <laughs> I love that. It's really but, only feedback. That's brilliant. Well it's a good one. It's a good one. And, and I think the, the key to all of those things is that I do all of those with joy, with yes. absolutely, they're a ritual. Uh, it, there is no guilt um, and I did feel, you know, I used to feel a lot of guilt just, you know, in the last few years. And then I've gone, nah, I own this and I'm going to put pictures of my chocolate smoothie. I'm going to tell people I've just had a champagne in the spa because that's how I really am. And I feel amazing and I'm very healthy and it works for me. So I guess it's a case of doing what works for you and doing it with love. Yes. Perfect and brilliant advice. And I think different phases. Like I used to enjoy an organic wine and I find now because I'm still in a bit of sleep deprivation time that if I have a wine, it's just not enough bang for my buck. I just end up the blood sugary thing and maybe that's because I need to work on my primary. But chocolate and coffee, I am not willing to give up at this stage. But I have discovered recently that I also naturally sort of delaying my coffee drinking for about two hours. So, yeah, I usually have it around nine. And I'm feeling much better. So that makes so much sense. And then with the chocolate, you get way more bang for your buck. Like you said, if you're having a beautiful, dark, organic, fair trade chocolate, instead of wanting to go back for more and keep that sugar kind of addiction hit, when you have Mm. that beautiful, dark chocolate... It doesn't feel good. That's what I need. It doesn't feel good, whereas... Yeah, you might spend a bit more or you can make your own. You can just get some nice organic cacao and make your own with a bit of coconut oil. And there's so many antioxidants in that. Like it's just, it's medicinal. Cacao is medicinal. It is. so good for you. Yeah. So great. And someone recently I spoke to said that it's also, so it's full of the antioxidants and all the good stuff and you get a little bit of caffeine from it, the theobrom and the good hormones for the brain, but it's also a prebiotic. So it's feeding all the good bacteria in your stomach so when you're having those high doses of dark chocolates i was like oh there's another tip for chocolate wonderful 
Eat the chocolate, sisters. Yes. I actually haven't found them. I, in, all the, in all the people I've asked that question, there's, there's really, it's really split, coffee and, and wine or coffee and alcohol, and it really goes down to what works for those people. But I've never heard anyone say, I don't like chocolate. Everybody <laughs> likes chocolate. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good confirmation. Actually, the one thing with chocolate is I haven't eaten it for a while, but the raw chocolate, the, like the Loving Earth Raw, and I think it's an awesome brand and I know it works for some people. But for me, um, it actually made me feel really it did something that felt a bit toxic in my body. So I actually thought, oh, whatever it is that gets broken down when they roast the cacao must be something they traditionally noticed some people couldn't handle and then obviously some people can handle the raw cacao. That's my only thing. Yeah, I find yeah, it can it can be a bit too much of an upper. I found like some of the local, you know, organic cacao chocolate people, they can make some ones and you'll have one chocolate. You think, oh, Jesus, I feel like I've had 10 espressos. <laughs> was it that kind of a feeling? Like a bit of an anxious yeah. kind of like, whoo. It was a bit anxious, mm. but it was a bit nauseous. It was actually quite nauseous and I got a headache. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, what it's Not for you. It's so important to tune into what's right for you. Thank you. So also you have a free recipe book online, which has some awesome recipes, especially for this time of year, if you're wanting to make some really yummy Christmassy treats. Um, and I saw that your podcast came out with Dr. Andrea about menopause. I'm going to listen to that. So do you get a few? Oh, she's so, she's so clever. I've just been uh, listening back to it in the car and it's, it's gold. It was good to listen to it twice. That one for me, cause I obviously interviewed her, but just really getting my head around all the different hormones that happen, uh, what menopause is. It's a great, it's a really good one. So go and check it out. And um, also if you're interested in becoming a primalist, so you can get an info pack with one of our recipes to try. Um, and the doors are closed now on applications until Valentine's Day 2020. So if you're listening to this after that, check it out, primalalternative.com. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll put all those links in the show notes. And coaching. So you offer coaching as well? Oh, I did. Um, yes, health coaching. I have really had to kind of like sit on my hands with health coaching over the last – I had to wrap it up in March because I just was too busy with the Primalista license. And, um, yeah, it's just really – you know, you've got to like – I'm just, yeah, both feet in with, with getting the Primalista license up and off the ground and across the world. Um, so I do have uh, two evergreen programs, Thrive, which is a 21-day clean living journey. So if you want to, like, experience all of the things that I've been talking about today with the real food and the lifestyle changes, then that is, like, a just a crazy video from me every day for 21 days. Um, and then I've also got another program, Set for Life, which is a – six-week program which goes more it's like a, a follow-on from thrive so once you are thriving and you're thinking what else is possible it really does all of that kind of um inner work that you need to do to work out right well how do I want the rest of my life to look now that I'm feeling amazing what is my passion how am I going to maintain this positive state all that kind of thing and so they're evergreen you can get access to both of those through the website as well Awesome. So the programs, good on you also for making that choice Like we can't do everything all at once. And um, like you said, we need to slow down a bit. I love the slow movement for that, really tuning in and finding mm. out where you need to be putting your energy now, right now. So good on you for making Absolutely. that choice. And it's so good to hear that it's taking off and it just shows that people are really 
wanting to tune in and prioritise their health and find alternatives. So it's so great that you're offering a really delicious, fun, pleasurable one too. Well, thank you, Helen. It's just been so wonderful and such a joy to chat with you and hear your passion and be able to share your passion for food and, and just healthy living and lifestyle. I'll pop all those show notes up. And was there anything else, any events or anything that you have coming up or you're about to go into your Christmas break? I'm about to go into my Christmas break and have a good old rest and recharge, um, which is needed. And it's that, that funny phase where you're, you're just used to working and then you've got that like transition. It takes you a few days to unwind and go, oh, what shall I do if I'm not working? So I'm um, just in that kind of like, no man's land, but I'm sure I'll find my groove soon. So yeah, nothing launching. Um, apart from next year, I'm having a really, my word for 2020 is simplify. Mm. And I'm just sticking to um, things that feel the most easiest. So whatever feels easy and just t- things that are just totally my zone of genius. So and anything else that isn't easy to me, I'm outsourcing. And I'm just, yeah, going to free up more time because I think it's the magic comes in in those little pockets in between stuff. So that's, that's all I've got really to, to, to leave you with. But thank you so much for the opportunity, Shelley, to connect with you today. Like, wow, what a show. We've really gone all over the place. And I hope that their listeners have enjoyed it and got some, some value from it. I really hope so. Oh, I'm sure they have. I'm sure that there's something for everyone in there. And I found uh, the reason I started the podcast and everyone has their different reasons, but it was partly so that I could have interesting conversations with people from home as a busy mum. Very satisfying, isn't it? It's like, this amazing chick today. It was so good. Yeah, like you don't need to go out. You can just hang out. It, It really is. It's about finding your people, you know, coming together and having these conversations like, oh, you get me, you get me, you understand me. And this, this message is landing with you. And, and that's very fulfilling, isn't it? And hurrah for technology and being a woman with a message in, today, in today's world, even though we are completely still patriarchal, it's the coolest time for us to be underground doing our own thing. I love it. It is, it's more feminine models. But more so the reason was because I found, I found, I still find podcasts so great for when you are sort of, you still have your friends that you catch up with coffee and you might meet them at play groups, but it feels sort of fleeting and it's hard to really be able to express and share all the interesting inspirations and more the intellectual side and these concepts. And to the same depth, yeah. uh, before kids, but by listening to podcasts, it keeps me really connected to all these ideas and concepts and philosophies and, and inspiration for things that I want to bring into my own world. So, um, yeah, that's what I love about podcasts. And I also really love your podcast for that. So, yeah, thank you. I'm sure there's something here for someone, just even if it's that idea. Thanks so of much, Shelley. Planting some seeds. And I'm sure that you'll have a beautiful break. You live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. The southwest of WA is just so gorgeous and really dear to my heart, having spent so much time there. I've still got family there. Yeah, so go go get some of that vitamin D. Do some nudie. You've got lots of beaches you can find over there to get nudie in too. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm British. I'm British, Shelley. No, that, that's too much for me. I'm a bit of a prude. I wouldn't dare go and- I wouldn't dare go needy rudy down the beach because um, what if someone saw me, you know, but out here in my own garden, it's cool. Yeah, lucky um, you safe. got <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you got yeah. the property. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thanks, Shelley. So cool to chat.
Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope there was something there for you. Please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages, Pollination Mamas, and leave your thoughts, ideas, inspirations, feedback. I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, uh, ideas for guest speakers that you might have. And also, if you feel to, I would really appreciate if you head on over to iTunes, Anchor FM and the other platforms and left a review for the Pollination Mamas podcast. This helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there, these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience. I found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that I didn't realize were um, so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmamas.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts sales on my small batch largely homegrown herbal products latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that i might pop up on the blog occasionally So thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon. 